Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Morning, everyone. Evolutionary.org podcast coming your way. This is episode 138. Mike Rashid, Steve Smee here in the mobster from across the pond. What's up, man? Well, I think we're going to be, it's going to be good, interesting, dark and dirty, this one. Uh, yeah, let, let's get into one. it. Yeah. Yeah, Mike Rashid. So there's a lot to get into with Mike Rashid. Um. He is a very well-known American bodybuilder, boxer, author. He's done a lot, of, a lot of businesses, a lot of social media, fitness guru type of stuff. His main businesses today, he has a bunch of stuff on his website. He's got the normal stuff, the supplements, the apparel, the personal training, and he's been making quite a bit of money off of it. He does, he does monthly programs on his website with training and diet. So when you got monthly programs, you got people signed up, you got a consistent revenue stream coming in. It's just like anything else, just like your uh, electric bill, or just like your water bill. You constantly have people paying you every month. So that's a sweet, sweet way to make money over time. But he's also notorious for being a co-owner in the Iron Addicts Gym in Miami, which was yeah. raided and shuttered uh, about four years ago. So if you guys remember back four years ago, I – you know, look, looking back, it's a blast of the past. Now it's amazing how over time things have died down. But those of you who maybe are new to the whole fitness scene, you've never heard of this. So we're going to get into that in this podcast. But his stats, uh, he was born in 1982. So he's, um, he's about uh, 38 years old today. 39, 38, 39. He's a couple years younger than me. He's 5'11 and 220 pounds is his listed stats. But, um, you know, he's, he's changes his size. We were talking about on the pre-show. He used to be much more bigger. Now he's like more ripped and, and lean. So um, his fitness career, guys, he was exposed to fitness at a young age. His father made him do a lot of stuff outdoors, seeing sprinting, chopping wood, pull-ups. He became a professional boxer in his teens. He won national golden gloves. In his late 20s, he got interested in powerlifting and bodybuilding, which led him to a partnership with other social media stars, C.T. Fletcher, Dana Lynn Bailey. So those guy, uh, those guy and lady are big in the industry. So mm. hooking up with them, it's kind of a opportunity to kind of get your profile up as well. So. His highest placing in competition in 2010 um, NPC Mid-Michigan Natural Bodybuilding Championships, he got first place. So he's been also successful in powerlifting, which is a mobster's forte. His deadlifts have surpassed 600 pounds, um, which mobster's going to talk about. And his record on the bench press is 475, which just is just very solid. Um, I've seen guys in the gym do over four, 500 right in front of me. Um, so 
475 isn't like going to break any types of records, but it is still very, very impressive, especially if you can do more than just one rep. So Mobster, tell us a little bit about his early history, and then we'll kind of get into his social media online presence. Yeah, the, the, uh, in terms of his strength, he's, I, I use this analogy, and I think, funny enough, it ties in with the whole 5% rich piano thing, which is that he would probably be in the top 5% or 10% of pretty much every gym in the world that he went to. Uh, there's only ever be, there's only ever going to be a handful of guys that do much over 400 pounds, and typically, as you've already said, Steve, we kind of know who those fellas are. If, if we go to the gym and we do it, we know who the other guys are that can do it. We just do. So 475 pounds is quite impressive, really. And even at his biggest, he's never been a giant of a man. He's certainly not a giant of a man at the minute with, with his uh, changes in his uh, physical direction. And a 600 pound deadlift is to, to, to use a local colloquialism a tidy lift. Um, if you can do 500 deadlifts. 400 squats and 300 pound benches, especially for reps, you're probably going to be in the 10% of most fellows in the gym. If you're doing 400, 500, 600, 600, 700, 800, whatever, you're in the, the top 10, top five, top 1% of, of most people in the gym. And in fact, probably county, uh, even in the States. So yeah, it's that side of stuff. I'm also kind of interested in perhaps the, uh, there's a suggestion from a, a documentary that they've done him. I think some of this athletic stuff and the training stuff actually kept him out of trouble. I don't think he's quite as from the streets as perhaps some of the other fellas that he's done collaborations with, but he could have been one of those guys that went in that direction. And so the training, in like a lot of, listen, right, I, I, this applies to the American as well as the UK market. There's a bunch of young fellas that we both know, Steve, that if they hadn't done boxing or some kind of martial art or gone to the gym, we'd be standing on street corners getting in all kinds of trouble that they would mess up stuff at school, they would mess up stuff at college and university, they, they might get involved in drugs. And I believe, and, and, and I'm sure that's not implying too much here, Mike would have been one of those fellas that if he hadn't had this positive distraction, could have been involved in a bunch of negative stuff. So in his way, keeping him into the gym, his dad persuading him to be involved in the athletic side of things has made a difference to what could have been a misdirected upbringing Sometimes it's just the fellas that you're surrounded by. We've all got buddies that might have been to jail or got into trouble or do drugs. And fortunately, our parents were solid enough that they got us to make sure to focus on book reading or going to school or hitting the gym and whatever else. And I think Mike kind of feels to me like one of those fellas that it could have happened, but he was lucky that it didn't happen. So that's in terms of his upbringing. And I say in terms of his actual uh, athletic ability, I believe he's one of those guys that's kind of got that, I won't say purely natural talent because he's not, crazy strong he's not going to be heavyweight champion in the world even though he's taken out boxing but he's got enough athletic ability in him with focus and application that he's managed to do well for himself build up as you know even now with his much smaller physique because of the boxing he's still lean he still looks like most people would like to look and as you've already said of course he, he's one of the earlier fellas for doing collaborations and managed to turn all these things that he's done into a positive direction and now of course makes a living and as we will get into both sides of the coin, the, the positive and the negative, the positive will be that he's making a difference. Whether he's selling cookie cutter programs or not, he's still making a positive difference to people. So, you know, there's there's a kind of a hint of a bad boy about him and certainly from, from his youth, but uh, there's certainly enough about him positive now that he's, he's, he's going in the right direction. He's done well for himself and he's still having a positive influence on people. Yeah, back to you, Steve. Let's kind of get into his social media, get that out of the way, his business. Yeah. Um, 
he has a huge presence online because of marketing guys. And we see guys, what you do is you collab with different people, their followers become your followers, your followers become their followers. You kind of double, you triple your followers that way. You put out videos, you put out these videos online, they get thousands of watchers. You're cruising YouTube. You come up on a video, you're like, damn, I like this guy's workouts. He's awesome. I'm going to subscribe to him. So you build a big presence that way and you go from there and it really works. So he's able now to sell a lot of things. And we went over the things he sold online. So I'm looking at his training programs and his personalized programs, quote unquote, personalized programs. He's charging you a monthly fee. So if you want to do training only, it's going to cost you 28 bucks a month. And that's going to basically be a recurring charge. And every month you're going to be charged 20 bucks a month to get his training programs. If you want his nutrition, it's 40 bucks a month and it's going to be a recurring charge. And if you want both, it's every 12 weeks for a hundred bucks. So you save 20%. So once you get someone on these recurring programs every month, their credit cards being billed, that's when the money starts rolling in for these guys. Go ahead, mobster. What do you got to say? You're just saying in terms of the collaboration, let's touch on this just for a second. I believe he's one of the first few fellas to start doing this ahead of the game, so to speak. Now, it's quite common now, whether it's a motoring channel or a bodybuilding channel, to go off and visit the other guy's car collections, the other guy's gym and train with them, to go out for a meal together, to chew the fat. And that back and forth between two athletes is entertaining on camera. There's only so many times I could... Let's say for argument's say that Steve and I did a collaboration. There's only so many times you're going to want to watch us bench pressing or deadlifting or whatever else. But if we get in our car and we, we cruise down to a different gym, that's a nice change for us. We go off and meet some, some iron buddies and we, we bullshit on camera and we have a laugh and do some bro shakes. It's more entertaining. It's different scenery. It's a different gym. There's people there at the gym. We could be introduced to the camera. It's more entertaining. And then as Steve said, it's literally one of those things that ends up being, it's more, not one plus one, it's one plus one equals three because you've got the two fellas together and then the two of them, you end up with maybe 10 or 15% up on, on your on your uh, views, certainly in terms of your income potential for the day. And it's, it's, it's interesting for you just to travel, to go and see new people and whatever else. A good example, if Jay Cutler, the next Mr. Olympia, goes to different gyms and does videos, which he does, th- th- those are just as popular as the Jay walking things that Jay Cutler does when he talks about things that are going on in his life and what's happening in the world. So people like Jay walking and they want questions asked, but they like to see Joe, Jay travel around Vegas, like to see Jay travel around California. And if it works for him, who's a top Mr. Olympia, it's going to work for Mike Rashid. And it just makes sense. Uh, one, one of the things I did back in the day when I had my magazine is that I would write about places that I'd been to, gyms that I'd trained in, events that I'd gone to. And people liked that because they couldn't go to that event, gym or that event with me. So I'd write as though they were with me. And people seem to like that. And I've got positive feedback. That's what these videos are like. That's what collaboration is all about. And it, it's something for you guys. If you're going to get into your social media, don't just think you going to the gym is going to be entertaining. It will be, but only for a short while. I do not want to see you doing another set of side laterals and saying, this is how I pump up my shoulders. That's only going to be entertaining for five minutes. Unless you're some sort of growth monster that every time you go to the gym is another inch on your, on your delts. It's going to get boring. You need to change things up. And you need to do that for the same reason. We would, If the same football match played every Super Bowl, you guys wouldn't watch it. We watch it because we want to think who's going to win. It's, that's that. You have to have that in the back of your mind. So, yeah, that's the social media stuff. 
what, what, uh, shall we get into this whole uh, uh, the, 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 what really probably kind of made his name in, the, in, in a terrible way uh, was the attention of they got, of course, from that massive drugs raid, Steve. Yeah, we can go. We can hit that. Um, do you want to hit his uh, nutrition? Is uh, I'm sorry. Do you want his workout philosophy first? His workouts. Okay, so I, I, part of the research, as usual, I watched I watched a video or two, and uh, the most recent one was a collaboration, funny enough, with Matt Truck, who's another social media, uh, a black social media star of, of his own. Uh, funny enough, Matt Truck was one of the fellas that was part of the Five Percent Crew, but they had a falling out for one reason or another. Um, uh, and in fact, on that particular subject, there was a business where uh, Rich Piano was quite big on teaching people that came on board how to enhance the social media and how working together actually would do that. But for some reason or another, him and Mac Truck fell out. There was a few videos about that. And then uh, obviously, Mike and Mac have hooked up a couple of times. And the most recent video, they're both slimmed way down from where I've seen him in the past. I believe Matt Truck was 230, 240 in the past, and he looked around 200 pounds on the video I watched yesterday. And, and they were doing a back workout. And, and again, I mean, it's, again, it's one of those things where, you know, how exciting can certain particular things be? But they put themselves through a medium weight, uh, high volume uh, work, workout approach. Uh, they were doing straight arm pull downs, lap pull downs, rows, et cetera, et cetera. Nothing heavy, nothing crazy. Now, I don't know about Mac, but I do know that Mike, of course, has changed more from a bodybuilder than powerlifting over to and describes himself in, indeed both on his online description is a heavyweight boxer. So of course, when you're training for boxing and one of the guys that comes here and trains with us, trains for boxing, you can't be doing certain exercises in the same way that you and I might do, Steve, if we went to the gym. As a good example, one of my buddies almost never trains his biceps uh, because if he does that and then he goes and throws gloves in the gym, his arms pump up to the point where he can't throw gloves. His, his arms would drop, but leaves his defense open. So the fact that Mike has changed his training style is out of necessity. What we've seen in the past, and I have seen some of his videos years ago, way more hardcore bodybuilding years ago than it is now. And it has to be that way. You don't need to bench 475 pounds if you're a boxer. It, as much as you think it might, it will not enhance your punching power. Speed and power will enhance your ability to knock someone out. Bench pressing five or close to 500 pounds will not. It might give you something, but it, in the ring, I've only got to find an opening if, if I'm your opponent and you're on your dance. You have to train in a different way. But here's the thing sometimes, and this is a quick bit of advice for our listeners. You can change how you train. Go off and do something else for six months or a year. Go off and maybe do some white collar boxing, you know, just put some gloves on for a year and challenge yourself to go in a ring and fight someone else. It doesn't have to be professional. It doesn't have to be on ABC or big news sports channel, whatever. It doesn't have to be ESPN. It can just be something that's done for charity. And then you can come back and all your ability to be the crazy strong strength monster you was before, the big muscle fit that you was before, will come back. And this is something that Mike's able to show you from his training. As I said, he's got, I think, some sort of athletic background. There's some genetics in there. But the ability to go off and train to me. A good example of Steve, look at me. I believe I was, uh, uh, my, my DNA is probably better as a middle distance runner when I was younger than it is for the weightlifting and powerlifting and strength type stuff that I do now. And Mike, again, is a good example of this. It's shown that you can change, you can go off and do new challenges, new things, and you can always come back to weightlifting and powerlifting and bodybuilding later on. Muscle memory, as they say, is real. And Mike's a good example of that. Right now, he's not training the same way that he used to train in the past. 
So yeah, he's adapted, he's moved on, and maybe he just wanted the challenge for the mental stimulus thing. Back to you. Let's get into, before we get into the fun stuff, the steroid use, the WFN scandal, let's get into his diet a little bit, yeah. um, because he also Thanks. was one of the guys who is very, very well known, who came up with the ideas, well, who's pushing the ideas of once one meal a day and uh, time-restricted feeding or intermittent fasting type. So with, with Mike, he eats one large meal a day. That's his diet. Now this flies in the face with a lot of the stuff we've, you know, seen with guys say, oh, I got to eat eight meals a day, 10 meals a day. That was always Rich Piana's idea. So guys, I mean, here's the thing. Here's the advantage of doing one meal a day. Here's the deal of time-restricted eating, just eating in a window. Um, the advantage is number one, autophagy. You're going to get autophagy benefits. You're going to cell regeneration. Your body, when you're not eating during that time, is going to have an opportunity to fix itself because when you're, if you're eating 10 meals a day, your body is spending a lot of its energy digesting those meals constantly. So your body is using up basically our digestive system, our body, when you put something in, in your body, when you eat something, our body has to process it. So that takes work. So your body actually uses a majority of its energy every day digesting food. So can you imagine if you just took away that 50% and put it toward your body healing injuries, toward your body having more energy and stuff. So this one meal a day thing is actually a great way to boost your energy, boost your recovery, boost your body's repair, regenerate cells in your body, both in your gut and all over your body. It's a, it's a really great, great way to do it. And it flies into the face and a lot of other people who say, oh, you got to eat eight meals a day, 10 meals a day. So, and, and it's, it's something that I've definitely uh, used. Although I typically eat in a two to six hour window every day. Sometimes I will eat one meal a day, or sometimes I may eat one meal every two days. And some days I may fast for many, many days. Um, I, I do long fasts here and there as well. So these are the little tricks that you can do. And Mike Rashid is, you know, has showed that, yes, you can do that and still build muscle because you're not going to lose your muscle if you only eat one meal a day. That's a fallacy. We build muscle through stressing out our, our, our muscles, breaking down our muscles. So as long as you're working out, you're going to continue to be, you know, put on muscle, you know, as if your genetics allow it, if your genetics are crap, no matter how much you work out, you're not going to build muscle. So this is, this is a way, and there's many, many benefits as well. <clears throat> Another benefit is you're keeping your insulin levels down. You're keeping your glucagon up. That's going to help you put you in an insulin sensitive state. This will allow you to have an easier time losing fat and keeping fat off long-term. So that's another benefit of doing this. And there's many other, uh, other benefits to doing this, guys. If you want more information, you can come on the forums and post up and I'll, I'll, <clears throat> I'll tell you all the benefits. Um, and then we'll get into a little bit of his mind and spirit. Mobster, you wanted to jump in really quick? Yeah, I've got a couple of things here. Right, so I've touched on this on the forums as well. I've wrote four comments here. History, quite simply, the idea of us sitting down having three meals a day is actually relatively new. Never mind four meals, five meals, 10 meals a day. The idea of sitting down three times a day if you're out working is, is incredibly new. It's probably only the literally maybe the last 200 years thing. Uh, back when we was agricultural, before we become industrialized, it was two meals a day, one in the morning, one in the evening. 
sunrise and sunset. And prior to that, of course, when we were running around the Serengeti, hunting for antelope and trying to pick berries from trees, food was where we got it. That might mean nothing for a day, and it might mean all day eating berries. So our bodies are incredibly adaptive. The idea that we have to do certain things is bullshit. What we choose to do is something else. And arguably, as I put here as well, adaption, your body, even if the argument is that you benefit somehow, the difference between a one meal a day's benefit, suffice to get enough calories in, and 10 meals a day is incredibly small. Assuming it is a benefit, it would only add up over time. So listen, let me start getting a semantics to go, what's the difference between five meals and six meals? One fucking meal. There really isn't that huge of an advantage between the one, one extra meal and, the, and one less. It's just crazy. Sumo wrestlers, and I believe also Indian wrestlers. So there's a particular name for them, like which escapes me. But sumo wrestlers, were the, the classic one with these huge muscular guys, some of which are muscular, as well as the big fat guys that we've seen, having one meal, which they all sit down to in a social way, out of a huge great bowl of rice and a huge great bowl of some sort of soup. And that is literally all they're having. And it's literally one time, traditionally, may have changed now with McDonald's in, in Japan, but for, for many hundreds of years that the sumo wrestlers wrestled, they would wrestle all day and then have this one giant meal in the afternoon. And most of their bulk came from resting after the meal and after the wrestling. And then the other argument with regards to what you're talking about, time-restricted thing, well, is quite simple. The reason why so many people are fat now is because we graze. We're eating meals and then we're eating between meals and we're snacking. Now, if I suddenly go into the thing where I can only eat food, for argument's sake, for five hours a day, I would have to eat non-stop for five hours, which is kind of difficult, in order for me to force down healthy 3,000 calories in that same, I'm going to be full up. So having a time restriction kind of slows me down and kind of restricts the amount of food that I can force in. And as Steve already said, I don't want to be eating as much as I might eat to weigh the size that I am now. I really don't want to be eating 10 meals. That's kind of like every hour, hour and 15 minutes for the time that I'm out of bed. And the time I'm not busy in the gym and the time I'm not at the shops and on time I'm not doing stuff around the house. Literally every hour and 15 minutes, Steve. And that's kind of like, that That would be boring, that would be tedious and it would make it a grind. So yeah, that, this, this back and forth. He's Mike is proof positive that you can have one meal a day and still be a big, muscular, strong person. There's absolutely, the whole back and forth between these things, it gets a bit crazy and it gets a bit stupid. And Steve quite said the fasting thing, which is kind of separate, because we're not talking really about fasting as such with Mike, is that fasting in itself is kind of like a reset, it gives your gives your digestion a, a, a chance to rest, gives your friendly bacteria a chance to recoup and, and get back up to healthy numbers, gives your, uh, and, and sometimes there's a little bit cleansing, and even mentally, the fact that you haven't got to kind of force feed yourself all day can sometimes be a healthy thing. And again, guys, there's absolutely nothing to stop you going out there and trying any of these things and finding out if they work for you. If Mike can maintain a muscular physique and a high level of strength doing one meal a day, as he did when he was powerlifting, then you might too. Go ahead and try it. And as Steve said, there's lots of information on the forum. Come back and check them out and have a read and decide for yourself. 
Right to you, Steve. Yeah, one of the big things that a lot of people they'll they'll try it and they'll be like, oh, I start getting a headache after a couple hours, or I start yes. not feeling well. I'm got hypoglycemic. Yeah, but that's the problem. You've developed yeah. that insulin resistance. So to reverse it, you've got to work through that. And it may take like a couple weeks, maybe three weeks to work through yeah. that. And then once you break through that barrier, you won't, you won't go back. Your body will, the light switch will change in your body. So yeah. if you've gotten to that point where you need to eat like every two to three hours, you've got problems. You definitely mm -hmm. have insulin resistance going on and you're on track to join the 30% of Americans who are type two diabetics or pre-diabetic. And that's, then that's ridiculous because a hundred years ago, like monster said, or 200 years ago, how many Americans were type two diabetics? 1%, 2% at yes. most yes. Yeah. now 30%. I yeah. mean, it's not a genetic thing. It's no. that we're eating differently than we did before. We have refrigerators today. We have restaurants today. We have fast food today. You can call up on your phone or you can order on your app on your phone. More access bring, to food than we've yeah. ever had in history. Yeah. They'll bring food right to your door, literally 24 7. 24 7. Yeah. You know, and food is a big business. So you can get food, anything you want at any time. And 100 years, ago, 100 years ago, we did not have that. So you're comparing the way humans have eaten for hundreds of thousands of years to how humans have started eating the past 10 years or 20 years or 50 years. So it's completely different. Yeah. Another thing I like about Mike too is his natural eating. Cause I follow a natural diet as well. I don't put anything in my body unless it's natural. So, you know, I'm not going to put something in my body that's in a package or in a cardboard box or anything like that, or that contains refined oils. I'm not going to cook with refined oils or refined sugars or any of that crap. So that's another thing I really like about him. So and that's his, that's his style of eating. And if you eat like that, you can basically achieve anything you want in fitness. You will be achieving the top level performance. It's like giving your car the best fuel for your, for your car. For those of you who have gas, gas powered engines, that's like giving your car. Yeah, yeah. One more thing very quickly, Steve. In the article, which we're going to link you to guys, he talks about the mental aspect. And there's an argument, even with the nutritional side of things, if he can prove to you that mentally he's quite capable of having one meal a day and then performing at an incredibly high level his whole he, he talks about the philosophy and the mental aspect which is just basically willpower uh, and i quite often say to guys if we're doing certain things in the gym that feel god awful let's 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 load you up on the squat bar and let's make you smash out a set of reps and i standing behind you shouting and yelling get you the full set and have a couple more reps than you normally would for a few minutes certainly while you're squatting and for a couple of minutes afterwards you feel like i've just hit you with a hammer but realistically, you're going to recover in five or six minutes, and then you're going to get to walk around. And then afterwards, your legs are going to feel punched. And actually, what felt god awful during the workout is going to feel kind of great because you overcame a challenge and you you survived and you dominated and you won and you carried on. And now you're walking that stuff off. You're stopping yourself from being sore. Now, he's doing this on one meal a day. So his argument is my willpower my ability to push myself, my mental power is greater than my physical power. I can make my body do stuff it doesn't want to do. I can survive on one meal a day. I can do these things. I can go hungry and still be lean and still be muscular and still be strong. So it's kind of like in a particular way, it's not religious, but it's kind of getting into that kind of look at me doing this stuff and I, my ability to do these things isn't changed. I just have to sit there. I can feel hungry and not go out and have to eat like some sort of cow in a field constantly chewing grass 
eating 12 hours a day, having 10 meals. So he talks about the willpower aspect and the challenge and the ability to overcome being as important as all the other things. And I actually argue some of these things as well, Steve. If you can, you know, people want to lose weight, but they don't want to go on a diet. They want to lose weight, but they don't want to do the cardio. They want to get muscles, but they don't want to go to the gym. You have to have the wherewithal and the consistency and the ability to apply yourself, which comes from your brain, from your ability to motivate yourself long before it comes from anything else. Most of us, as Steve said, would never truly known hunger. And yet here we are with the type 2 diabetes that Steve's just mentioned. There's zero excuse. They've got more access to information about diet and everything else than you've ever had at any point ever in history, along with the accessibility we just mentioned the food, than you've ever had. So you've got no excuse to be overweight when you've got a million pieces of information telling you how to lose it and how places to go that are great for cardio and the more gyms than has probably ever existed in history with cardio machines in. And yet here we are with people talking about type 2 diabetes. And I think if the US has got 30%, I'm pretty sure we're not far behind here in the UK. So yeah, the mental aspect that Mike talks about is also incredibly important. And he actually made that a big part of his, his initial stuff and advice and how he got into training uh, when he was online. And in fact, arguably, I would prefer that side of things rather than seeing the guy work out again and again and again, because he's out there motivate, motivating you and getting you to drive and getting you to be the best you possibly can be. And that, if nothing else, is to be admired. Back to you, Steve. Yeah, and the mental aspect is very important. Uh, Mobster and I are extremely strong mentally. We do this podcast yeah. and, and Mobster can't stand it when people are late to his gym or anything because oh my God. he screws with his mind. So that's why I don't like training with people, the same reason, because their, their problems showing up late or whatever screws in my head. So I like to do my own thing. I used to, you know, I've dated women who like to go to the gym with me and my workouts when they've gone with me had just haven't been as good because- I'm kind of having to teach them and show them what to do. And they're kind of slowing me down. So I like to just work out on my own or, you know, another option is let's say you're a runner, you go to a running, you go with a running group and you've got people faster than you, you got people slower than you, but the fat people who are faster than you, you can kind of, kind of keep up with them. But weight training is different. You know, weight training to me, you know, it can really slow you down if you're working out with someone who's, way different, you know, uh, size. So it's a perfect example of the mental aspect. So Mike Rashid really has a down guys. Uh, the guy overall, he really knows what the hell he's doing and talking about. So this is one of the guys that I personally have a lot of, of respect for. And, and I don't think he's full of shit like so many of these other guys. So, but we are going to get into now, we're going to talk about his, his WFN scandal. And we're going to talk about his steroid use. So um, this was a big thing that happened four years ago. Basically, there was a gym in Miami that got raided, and he had a business partner. Rank Rashid owned a piece of the business. Uh, his business partner was Richard Rodriguez, and this guy got arrested for running an illegal steroid operation um, called Will Wellness Fitness Nutrition. And I don't know if you remember this monster, but back then, you could go on their website and literally order <laughs> yeah. any of these steroids with a prescription. Yeah. Even things like Trenbolone, yeah. which aren't even legal in the United States. You can't even get a prescription for Trenbolone in the United States. You get a prescription for testosterone, for uh, DECA, for some of these other steroids. You can go to a doctor and he can write you a prescription for. They, you, good luck doing that, you know, if you want DECA or some of these other steroids. But testosterone is pretty damn easy. But 
Trembolone and EQ and Primo, these aren't even legal in the United States. So you would not be able to get a prescription for them. But for some reason, you could just go on their website and get it. And then they ship it to you. It was very, very bizarre. And they kept this going for quite a while. Oh, yeah. And then one day, obviously, during that time, the government was obviously accumulating. They were yeah. accumulating evidence. And these people mm-hmm. were got greedy. And then one day they got raided. So Rashid never got implicated for anything. Nope. So, nope. you know, he but he did own a piece of it. So, of course, his haters use that to kind of attack him. And they want to, you know, do clickbait. So these guys are going to try to attack him and say that he was involved and stuff. But just because you own a, a piece of the gym, let me explain the way gyms work. These gyms are very, very expensive to start because the, yeah. the, the location, you have to pay for the rent, you have to pay for the, the spot, you have to pay for the equipment and all that. It takes a lot of money. So a lot of times it's just like insurance. There's a lot of people who are buying a piece of the pie. So just because he invested a piece of the pie into these businesses does not mean that he knew what was going on in these businesses. So yeah, um, Mobster, touch on that a little bit and we'll kind of get into, um, we'll get into a steroid speculation. So the FBI were talking about a number up to and including 10 million US dollars as what they believe to be the revenue over a year uh, prior to prior to the raid, prior to the arrest, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I, I, I'm kind of torn in this kind of stuff because obviously, you know, we have steroid sponsors on our forums, and of course, a lot of our forum members are using steroids, and the legality issues, which are worse in the US than they are in the UK, are still a pain in the ass in the UK. Uh, possession and distribution, possession for personal use in the United Kingdom is is and has not uh, ever been an issue. But I could get into more trouble for posting steroids. Than I could for having, I say, a drawer full of steroids, as I do right now as we do this podcast. Sale and distribution in both countries is highly illegal. And he, so the gray area here was that they had uh, on the books a couple of properly registered doctors. But for example, one of the main characters, Mr. Rodriguez, was also describing himself as a doctor. But that's right up there with Dr. Tony Hughes, doctor of law, not doctor of medicine, and not able to give you a prescription for steroids. Biggest problem here, and Steve used the word earlier on, was greed. <sighs> These guys got into the whole gangster lifestyle in a big, big way. And it's kind of like, the, the, <laughs> how do you know who's your local drug dealer? Because he's the one wearing all the fashionable clothes and everybody else has got no money for clothes. He's the one driving around in a nice car when everybody else is driving and claps out old banger. He's the one wearing real Rolex when everybody else is wearing fake Rolex. And you go, right, so if you're only declaring to the government $200 a week income, but you're wearing a $5,000 watch, driving a $40,000 or more car and walking around with wads of cash. Mr. Rodriguez had photographs on his social media of Lamborghinis and Rolls Royce. When he was arrested at the airport, he was wearing a $50,000 Rolex. This is in the Miami Herald article where they interviewed him in prison. It was kind of like, What's the things you shouldn't do if you're a drug dealer? This is how to get arrested. And this is what they, they just got kind of, they thought they were invincible. They thought they were covered. They thought they'd done it legally. The FBI and the, and the police and the local authorities all disagreed. They've realized that the Wendy's mail order was going not just local to Florida, but all over the country. 
not just from upstairs, because no actual drugs, funny enough, were found in the offices above the gym, but from distribution places nearby. And like I said, when the boss of this, this organisation is driving around in Rolls Royces and Lamborghini, it's just doing the smoke. Guys, if you're helping a buddy to buy some steroids, say, for example, you both put $500 in, that's actually illegal because you're distributing the drugs to your buddy, and that's only $500. Back when the legislation in the state started a few years ago, you was getting a count for every pill. So if you had a 50-pack 50, 50 tablet bag of D-Bowl, you had 50 counts. These guys thought they could get around the law. It was kind of <laughs> to the tune of $10 million. If you think, like I've used in a previous podcast, that a top Mr. Olympia is not being watched by the authorities, as the regards whether he's selling or distributing steroids, then I've got a bridge in Brooklyn that you can buy. Mike, by association, how how it's one of those things that because I remember the 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 funeral that came at the time, and I was as convinced as the next person. He owns the gym downstairs, or we K own the gym downstairs. How is he not involved in this thing upstairs? But it's like I could have drug dealing buddies that come around here and talk about certain things that they've done. It doesn't mean that I know everything about their business any more than the federal authorities. If the if the police are bugging them, they're only going to get part of the conversation. They're only going to be part of the deal. Quite often, even in this country, when you're arrested, they guess half as much as to what they, you think you've sold. And if you go to court and say the, 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 the defendant had the potential to have done half a million quid's worth of business, or the, depend, the defendant had this much in his possession. So we estimate he had this much. That's how the, Fed, the, the Fed, federal authorities in both countries build up their own figures for arrests. It's how they build up the figures for how many drugs they've taken off the street. So it's never, ever, whether it's Mike or Mr. Rodriguez upstairs or the feds, you never, ever, ever fully, completely understand exactly what's going on here. Because no one is sitting down and telling you every buck they earned, how many drugs they sold. No one's telling you exactly how many drugs were taken into possession. And the, 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 the government, the police's version of what the street value is versus what you're actually selling them for is not always necessarily the same damn thing. You're not necessarily, you're not getting, it's not like selling potatoes out of Walmart. It really isn't. So it, like I said, by association, Mike could have been in a very, very dark place. But the simple fact of the matter is we, we could accuse him and we can guess, but he never got charged. He was never even arrested. This is not a man that's been put in a police station and put Mr. Rodriguez's name on the table because he never got arrested. He was never in that situation. He was never in that position. But by association, he had essentially what amounted to an office being rented by someone upstairs, another business partner, who was a drug dealer and that's the truth the rest we can only guess at uh, my guess is as good as your guess as to whether mike knew nothing that is open to question uh, but we can't say on this podcast as much as we like to that mike was definitely involved because nothing ever came of it absolutely nothing and i know from ct fletcher ct fletcher actually put out a rather emotional video at the time saying he didn't even charge the Iron Edicts Miami to, he let them, it was a handshake deal that they'd done and allowed them because they had the kind of gym that he would want them to have, which is pretty much how any of the gym franchises normally work. You have to have a certain standard. And Iron Edicts Miami had a certain standard that sided with the gym that he owned himself. 
and they did a handshake deal because they were buddies that they could use the Iron Addict's name. And when the raid came, it reflected back, not just on Mr. Rashid, but on C.T. Fletcher as well. And C.T. Fletcher didn't have that kind of history, certainly not for a very, very long time, regardless of the fact that he came from Compton back in the day. He was another guy, a black man, that had done really well for himself and, and, and come from a potentially rough background and pushed things forward and was a great motivator and hopefully hero to many, many people of all kinds of races. And here he is with his own name being smeared as an indirect result of what had gone on in Miami. So, yeah, lots of innuendo, lots of supposition, lots of maybes, ifs and buts, but no actual proof. And, Let's uh, get into yeah. and Richard Rodriguez also uh, implicated Mark Wahlberg, the actor. He said that he... <laughs> um, and, some, and WWE as well. Yeah, so he implicated a bunch of A-list celebrities. Yeah. And the reason he did that in his nose, he just said, I'm just trying to clear my name. The bus at my company did not involve just one person. It was a slew of individuals. So he's basically trying to get a bunch of other people involved to kind of lessen his sentence. Yeah, exactly. This way they don't throw the book just at him. They can throw the book at 20 Sp different people. Spread the shit more thinly. Exactly. <laughs> spread it more thin. So, yeah. So this guy, yeah, this guy was, was bad news, this guy. And then uh, also, yeah, some WWE people too, as Mobster said. So he, he said that he said, sorry, Steve, to interrupt. One of the things he said was that he actually believed it was employees of his that he'd been a hard ass to because it's someone kind of pushy, kind of direct, kind of forceful in my personality. And he'd had a, a disagreement with some of his employees in the business. And these were the people that went to the feds. And it, essentially, because he was so damn greedy, Steve, whether it was him or whether it was with other people. He was pushing to make as much money as possible, and he was pushing his employees to help that happen. And it was these employees that went to the feds. He, he, he mentioned three names that weren't mentioned specifically in the article, the Miami, Miami Herald article, and refers to the fact that he says, these were the guys that I think went forward because I'd push them, because I was so greedy, because I was that kind of personality type, because I wanted to get this stuff done, and probably maybe thinking, am I going to make this amount of money for a certain amount of time, lift this life for a certain amount of time? So he wasn't a nice person. and they kicked off and they bit his ass by going to the feds and putting his name in the frame. And unfortunately, well, he was naming names left, right, and center. His was the only one that was left in the frame in terms of what the employees have said. So they, 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 to put it quite simply, they hated him. He was a nasty guy to them and they grasped him up to the old bill, as we would say in this country. And that's why he was the main that was being, the name that was being interviewed by the Miami Herald or the Miami Tribune, and uh, where he's he's ended up being the main that person that's gone to prison and doing the most amount of time. So yeah, there the, the was the, the other the other reality of that situation is is quite simple. Do we believe that uh, WWE athletes take steroids? Of course we do. Did Mike Wahlberg take something to help his physique to get in the shape? Of course he did. Did do other movie stars do the same? Of course they do. It's not good for their name and their reputation if they stand up in front of a TV camera and go, do you know what, I took steroids to get in the shape for this movie so that I can have a six-pack. Of course it isn't. But if we truly believe that they get up at four o'clock in the morning and eating raw duck's eggs and training like Rambo and Rocky and they're not getting in the shape with the help of some PEDs, then again, I've got two bridges to sell you in Brooklyn. And that perhaps Richard Rodriguez sold them something that helped them get in the shape to try and put their names into the frame, just trying to take a few few years off his sentence. That's just him trying to stay at a jail. That's just him trying to have, have, instead of having 15 or 20 years, having 10 years. 
Take your time. You know what they say was about doing the trial. If you and he's naming the them, the time. but he's naming yeah. these people. He's not naming dangerous people out there that could <laughs> want revenge that, on him because he knows these celebrities <laughs> aren't gonna, you know, try to Take whack us. You know, yeah. So he's, yeah. you know, he's going after the uh, the basically the top of the food chain on that one. This, the A-list celebrity. He's not gonna go after the the some some dangerous guy who's uh, has nothing to lose. So. Yeah. Whack him it, in is, it is what it is i mean <laughs> it is what it is but at the end of the day um mike rashid did a, put out a video talking about trust he trusted the wrong people he got in business yeah. with the wrong people but at the end of the day we're gonna run into tons of people in life we're gonna do business with people that we shouldn't have done business with and you know you can't really judge that the only thing you can do is just protect yourself and try to limit your exposure but when you've got a lot of money you've got to invest it somewhere and there's a good chance that you're going to invest some money into some type of business where the you know person running the business is going to be doing some illegal stuff, or you're going to work for someone at some point in your life where the person I dated a girl, the person she was doing business with, ended up stealing a lot of money, um, and you know so she got very upset. Like, how could you do this? You know, how could you you know basically screw me because now I'm out of a job because you got greedy and you. You're doing illegal stuff so you know it happens it happens all the time so you can't really fault mike for for any of this so no we've all made mistakes i've i've lent money to a, a, a woman that i was interested in shall we say in in a job when i was working for the police many many years ago uh in a civilian role and in fact the rules of the organization as then and probably as now was that you should not be able to lend money to a colleague because at some point that means you could put pressure on that colleague and i actually go into the manager's office and confess my sins so to speak in order to get my damn money back off of off, off this not very nice person because they hadn't coughed up the money that i'd lent them i'd done them a favor and i had to chase them up to the monies and that could have got me the sack i could have lost my job over it they could have lost their job over it we've both essentially broken the rules um i've, I've been uh, cautioned in a police station for doing someone a favor in a situation with involving a of all things steve a replica gun uh interviewed under caution with no solicitor present and i had given the the mother of my child a replica gun for her to stick under a pillow so if she got robbed or burgled she could wave this replica gun around and fire a blank which is not a bullet of course just makes a loud noise like a cap gun and she rather foolishly gave it to her then boyfriend who decided rather even more moronically to rob a local post office not miles away from the house but like a few streets away from the house lo and behold i am being interviewed by the cid in charing cross police station under caution for basically doing someone a favor so you go i'm telling you right now steve it was no fun whatsoever 11 o'clock in the morning i'm not even started work and i'm in my police traffic warden's uniform same as the police officer's uniform being interviewed by two detectives <sighs> yeah no fun unlike unlike mr rodriguez I'm not putting out every, the name of every person I've ever had a cup of coffee with on the off chance that I, because I didn't get arrested, I didn't get charged. I just made a stupid mistake. Not as stupid as the girlfriend or former girlfriend and not as stupid as the boyfriend and his friend and not even more stupid as robbing a post office about three streets away from where you fucking live because you're a blivering idiot. So yeah, that's, that's, that's the kind of mistakes that we make in life. It's not $10 million drug deal mistake, Steve, but still. And it's not trying to stay out of prison for 20 years kind of mistake. But yeah, 
things that we do and whatever. These these mistakes happen. Don't, for example, argue with a police officer when you're being, being done for speeding, that kind of thing. Yep. Anyway, let's get into the drug cycle. Let's that, yeah, let's finish up the podcast. Let's why don't you start us off on, on what we can speculate yep. someone like Mike Rispy would be using. Right. So Mike's physique with the muscularity, the certainly the strength and power that he used to have, and even the muscular physique that he has now suggests that he would have been using certain kinds of drugs to maintain the kind of muscle mass and the shape that Mike had. We're going to list five drugs, and I'll touch on the first three, and Steve can finish off. So uh, as previous podcast, trend, trend, and always trend. However, Mike's not a massive guy, so this is actually almost a sensible amount. Trenbolone FNA at 500 milligrams a week. Because he'd already built up a foundation of muscle, and because he already had a reasonable level of strength, in order to continue, especially when you're traveling around doing his podcast, doing the collaborations, et cetera, et cetera, 500 milligrams would have kept muscle on him. It was certainly, it's, it's, it's the ability to add muscle, especially when your dieting is incredibly good. And again, it's one of those things that's going to keep that level of strength on him. Quite simply, to do the videos, to do the collaborations, he needs to be able to look and act a certain way. And realistically, without drugs, his strength would have gone up and down through the year. Trend's going to keep that strength. He's going to keep that muscle on him. And again, with the one, one meal a day, it's keeping muscle on him. He's not losing anything. Equipoise. In this example, quite actually, actually quite high, I suggested 800 milligrams. And this is, again, is because he needs not just to have that muscle on him, but he needs to look good. He needs to look lean. He needs to have... To, to use a phrase that was used on the forums the other day, an aesthetic physique. If he's a strong guy that can bench 475 pounds, but he's fat and out of shape, quite simply, his videos wouldn't have been as popular. So he needs to be in shape. Now, there's only, you know, again, traveling is terrible for your diet. It's terrible for you losing muscle and whatever else. And so doing the stuff, moving around, doing seminars, doing the videos, having the time in front of the camera, you're not going to get your meals in, even if you are on five meals a day, never mind Mike's one meal a day. Testosterone cypionate. This is actually quite high. Testosterone cypionate is one of the most popular drugs for TRT. But here, again, it's it's basically what we would call the test base here. It's the foundation, perhaps, on what the rest of the cycle is built on. And the suggested amount is 1,000 milligrams a week. And again, I would actually see that if, if I'm looking at this cycle, I think it's one of those parts where more for his strength uh, but other drugs might have been included at that time and would vary through the year. So what we're suggesting is kind of really the core cycle that you would have been on. Other drugs would have gone in and out and some of these drugs would have varied in amounts. But these are probably the drugs that he was on year round uh, at his peak of, of strength and or size. Cardarine, a.k.a. GW. Honestly, guys, we talk about this a million times. You really do not need to change beyond the 20 milligrams amount. I think Stephen, Steve will touch on this in a second. The amount of times we see guys think you need to double up, go to 50 milligrams a day. No, no, no. What works for 99.9% .9 of you is the 20 milligrams, Anavar. I have mentioned this before. I shall mention it again. I am a big fan of Anavar. For me, Anavar, Sus, Decker, and Debo, probably my four favorite drugs. I'm on a Anavar right now. I've actually dropped the halo from the last time I mentioned it in a podcast. I'm on way less than this. I'm on 50 milligrams a day for... Mike, again, at his peak level of strength and maintaining the muscle and keeping the strength. We've got him on 100 milligrams, a suggested amount that we think Mike, as with all these other drugs that we think Mike might have used. Um, and again, it's for keeping his strength. For me, this is a great strength drug. If you're lean already, and Mike is lean, it's also going to be one of those ones that keeps muscle on. The only downside 
and especially at 100 milligrams a day, is back pumps. What about these drugs, Steve? What do you think? I think the other one, too, that he probably messed around with was Masteron and yeah. Olenstrol, just ahead of his These guys on Instagram, they have to look a certain way. They can't have any puffiness. Sometimes when you're taking pictures of yourself, you know, you look puffy in the pictures. That's just the way the camera will portray you. Um, So it's a good idea to take something that will kind of dry you out and harden you up before the actual photo. You want to look at your peak before the photo. And and if they take a picture and you don't like the picture, guess what? You try again tomorrow. You try again the next day. You're not going to put a picture that's unflattering of yourself on on there because that's just going to ignite all the trolls and the negative people to come on your your page and and post negativity. So you always have to post the positive. So I think he was messing around. He would, you know, definitely all these guys on these um, uh, social media, they do use the Winstrol great for drying you out and the Masteron for hardening you out. And then the Cartering, great for endurance great for fat loss why wouldn't you want some cartering every day gw i took some last night i took some this morning i'm gonna go do a boot camp in the next couple hours and i need i need all the endurance i can to get through it it's like a one hour of hell um in heated room yeah, yeah. boot camp and uh so i'm gonna want that so his workouts are absolutely ferocious so he wants every advantage he can during his workout so finish this up mobster final thoughts i'm just going to say there's a pluses and a minus to being on social media right so social media can give those of us that are viewing those of us that idolize and follow these people on social media can give you a false uh, expectation as to the reality of certain particular things so mike the flip side of that is equal if i was mike i'm creating a kind of persona my persona is a, 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 a black muscular strong man who's successful in what i do and of course this is actually true but equally there's a pressure for mike to look and respond and react in a certain way so steve says quite i mean let's put i'll make it real simple for you guys if mike comes on in less than stellar shape if he's not quite as muscular if he's not quite as tanned if he's not training quite as hard as he should in the gym steve mentioned it right at the beginning of the podcast with the social media site it affects his bottom line now, you and I, Steve, don't rely on our income from looking a certain particular way. Some of the money that we earn, some of our income, some of one of our uh, strings of money that come to us are based on our ability to be in shape, or really for us, it's more about our knowledge of being in shape. Uh, so, you know, how, how, how to do a cycle, how to diet, how to do cardio. That's really where some of our money comes from. I've had jobs given to me or I've, I've, been, I've succeeded in jobs because of my physical presence. If I go in looking six foot three and 280 pounds or 322 pounds as I am at a minute versus, say, a skinny guy, then I'm probably more likely to be taken with security jobs and whatever else. But with social media, it's different. My look or Mike's look is everything, not necessarily the kilos or pounds on the bar, but how I look. I have to look ripped. I have to look dry. And if I turn up one day fat and out of shape and I put that video up, trust me, the the, 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 the YouTube statistics for that video won't be as good. The ability for YouTube to make money from Google ads won't be as good. The amount of programs that I'm going to sell on my page won't be as good. And that's just the truth. So for these guys, they have to be in shape. They have to look good. 
And so that's their bottom line. That's their income. That's going to pay their bills. That's how they're going to get through the week. That's how they pay for their gas. That's how they pay for their food. That's how they pay their mortgages. That's how their, what do you call this in, in America, the 411k or whatever, the pension. That's how they're saving up for their old age. That's how they're going to buy their retirement home. It's coming out of how they look now. So it's incredibly important. But as I said, it creates that, it's a, it's a negative too, because it gives the average Joe that doesn't have much genetics or isn't using the same drugs that we suggested that might, might be using and doesn't have access to these fantastic gyms and can't afford the lifestyle, a false expectation that they can look like Mike by just buying a $30 a month training program. And so there's a little bit of, it's, it's, a, it's a positive and a negative. The guys have to look that way, but you're not necessarily doing all the things that they do in order to look that way. And that's without getting into genetics and ability to market yourself. So that's the one thing. I could have the world's greatest physique, but if I can't monetize that, if I have no business ability, if I don't, this is not easy work, guys. This is not one hour a day videoing yourself in the gym. I've mentioned this on podcasts before. It is graft. It is hours of video, hours of editing, hours online doing stuff. It's, it's this for some people, if they, if they, especially if they do it themselves, Steve, a full-time job. And even if they don't do it themselves, it's someone else's full-time job. Mike almost certainly has someone that runs the website, almost certainly has someone that does the clothing, almost certainly has someone that's paying to do the videos. So it's probably employing three people right there just to do what it looks like on video one hour a day's training. There's a lot more involved, as you know. So the appearance, how he looks, is really, really important. And if my appearance was a be all and end all, that was how I was going to provide for my retirement then I'm damn sure I'd be on a cycle of the kind of cycle that we're suggesting in order to stay in shape and be that particular way. So yeah, guys, have that in the back of your mind. How he looks in the gym training on, on a video and how you're inspired and motivated by him is one thing, but be aware these other things are just as important and, and they're more important for him than they maybe they are for you because they're providing a living, how he gets to pay his bills. Back to you, Steve. All right, guys, we appreciate it. Next week, we're going to have one of the most notorious guys in bodybuilding. We'll give you that hint. And um, we'll, we'll, you guys are going to enjoy that one as well. So for Steve Smee and the Mobster, this has been Mike Rashid episode number 138. We'll keep it going, guys, all the way past 200. Talk to you guys then. Ta-da. <laughs>